Like hey guys, work. welcome back to the Girls Gone Wild podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and coming back to our relaunch. Can we call it a relaunch now that we've been doing this for quite some time? Thank you. Thank you for being here. This week, we have my dear friend, Joy Jero, back on the show. Joy, when were you originally on GGW? I feel like it was a, at least over a year ago when we did like a bonus I'm- mental health episode. I don't think it was on the, but it wasn't on the GGW. Was it just, this is Joy and Claire? Yeah. So we did a bonus mental health discussion and you, you're on the East Coast. You have a doctorate in psychology. Is it clinical psychology? What is the actual doctorate? Counseling psychology. psychology. Oh, I have a master's in counseling psychology. So you uh, have a doctorate in counseling psychology and I'll let you introduce your, your bio and your experience. But we wanted to talk today about just a light topic of why we're obsessed with thinness and weight. Uh, (laughs) I think we could, (laughs) I think we could do this in 45 minutes. I think we could just solve all the world world's problems. Uh, You and I, you and I talk about this. We, we text all the time and kind of talk about certain topics that we're passionate about. And especially because we both have the psychology background, but this is something that obviously a lot of people have experience with for better, for worse. But before we get into that, why don't you give our listeners just a brief bio of you? Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a psychologist. Um, I'm also a licensed professional counselor like you. I work in Pittsburgh at a a large health system here uh, where I am now the director of population health and improvement. And, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my, my personal interest in psychology is, and a, a lot of the way that I was trained is thinking about how psychology and psychological principles can consider and perhaps move macro level change in systems and organizations, you know, so I, you know, when I think about fitness culture and diet culture, I think about that. When I think about the work that I do for the health system I work at, I think a lot about that because, you know, groups of people, whether they're, you know, a a couple or 10 folks, you know, or um, a thousand folks, like groups tend to work in the same ways, you know, regardless of the size of group. And so understanding the kinds of things we learn when we do uh, group therapy can help us to think about how groups kind of think and consider and move regardless of size like social psychology a lot of social psychology you know what it makes me think of and maybe you can remember one of your psychology classes but i'll never forget one of the social psychology i loved social psychology and i'm very interested in how we tend to just go along with what the groups are doing around us because we don't want to be an outlier we don't want to be rejected from the groups we all want to be accepted and loved (laughs) we could go off and Right. Many tangents about that, of like why we behave the way we do because of the people around us. But one of the studies that was done was the I think it was I think it's just called like the social something effect. But basically, social influence maybe. But it was like if you're all standing at a stoplight and one person goes, even if the crosswalk hasn't done the crosswalk guy lit up. Uh, everyone will go because someone sees someone moving and they just start walking. So you have to really stop and think for yourself of, is it safe for me to go? Or am I just taking a cue from that one person who's going to walk across? I mean, nine times out of 10, I'll see someone walk and I'll like stop for a second and be like, oh, is it okay to walk? But sometimes people don't think for themselves and they all just start walking. There's another very, very, very old 
I think it's a comedy. It was like a, a spoof show. I don't know, maybe in the 60s where they did this experiment where, and it was it was like a tongue-in-cheek, really, like a, more of like a comedy experiment, almost like hidden camera type of stuff. Yeah. But they, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen the one where, where they go in an elevator and there's someone kind of like narrating the whole scene, but basically there's a group of people in an elevator and one person turns the opposite direction. So everybody walks... <laughs> Everybody walks into an elevator and everyone is facing the doors. So everyone is facing the doors, but one person turns and faces the back of the elevator. And everybody starts kind of looking around like, oh, maybe I should be turning to face the back of the elevator. And slowly but surely, everyone starts to turn to face the back of the elevator. And it's it's hilarious, but it also just kind of does this funny uh, awareness of like, why do we have to take those social cues and alter our behavior? Because we're like, are we thinking for ourselves? So anyway, that's kind of more or less what we want, want to discuss, I think, like on a larger scale of just why we do what we do. And how, I mean, on a very, very, very complex level, social media influences this because we are looking constantly at what other people are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is something that, that, you know, you're describing the idea of groupthink, and that is something that can manifest in so many different places in so many different ways. And I think that that's a really, it's hard for us. And I think, you know, when we're sitting in, in as an individual in these kinds of classes and learning about this or watching these things, we're like, I would never be like that. But the truth is, yeah, I mean, awareness of it. And I'll sit there like, do do you ever find yourself in situations, especially like, I don't know, maybe it's at a Starbucks, or maybe it's like, I'm trying to think, maybe, okay, let's take a concert, for example, a concert's a perfect example, because there's more people that could be potentially looking at you. So here's a great example. (laughs) Scott and I were at a show this summer at Red Rocks, and we had close seats to like the front. And I don't know if if you haven't been to Red Rocks, it is an amphitheater. To, so obviously, like everyone's looking down at us if you're in the front versus, you know, just like a stadium where there's seats all around you. And you know, you're not like looking at one. So the, the focus is all down to the front. And in the light of day, like when it's dusk, it's still light out. So we were super jazzed for the opener. And so it's still light out. Not a lot of people like knew the opener, not as many people, not everyone is always like up and dancing for the opener. They're more jazzed about the headliner. So we were like super excited about the opener. And so as they start playing, I'm just like up and dancing. And the people behind me are still sitting and the people all around me are still sitting. And I'm just like, I'm so excited. And I just like want to be up and dancing. But like everyone around me is sitting and it feels so uncomfortable. But I just, all I can think the whole time is like, dance like no one's watching, dance like no one's watching. Because I like just want to enjoy this. And I mean, and it was Slater Kinney for crying out loud. So I was like super jazzed. Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. No one was dancing? No one was dancing. It was. (laughs) 
So, I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but like not as many people as I would have liked around me. Uh, and there are certain people like pockets of people dancing, but it was just like one of those moments where I was so acutely aware that I was the one that was just like up and having a blast, which by the way, later that evening before they closed their set, Carrie Brownstein was like, thank you so much to all y'all dancing over here and like pointed at me. And I was like, Carrie Brownstein just pointed me out for dancing. I can die happy now. <laughs> She's like, you're giving me life. And I was like, I gave Carrie Brownstein life. So like, that is just one example of how uncomfortable it can be to not have the social group around you doing the same thing. I know it's kind oh of a God. silly example of like, just no, it's yeah. so perfect. It's so perfect. And, you know, at dot, 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 as a queer woman, it also shows like you are the best LGBTQ ally. <laughs> To just be like, I am getting up and dancing for this. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I was like, oh my God, it was just so, I mean, and I, I had so much fun because I'm like, I, these women are fucking amazing and they stand for so much and the like historic feminist movement and riot girls, like everything in my brain was like, I am in a, I'm in a place of history right now. And, uh, so I was having a freaking blast, but very aware too that oh my gosh what about the people behind me they're like this chick won't sit down but part of me is like well if you want me to sit down like obviously you don't care about this opener so like why would you even care about watching them if you're but that's all made up in my head right right right. totally no i uh i uh i had a similar experience at i'm like obsessed since i was a kid with the gypsy kings and they came through pittsburgh like in 2018 like so pre-covid you know (laughs) Yeah, pre-COVID. Like, what was that? Yeah, yeah, poor one for (laughs) pre-COVID. Seriously, and it was in this like really small theater in Pittsburgh, and we were so close to the front. It was so awesome, and uh, no one fucking moved. Like what? Like Like, I mean, an hour and a half. Finally, someone got up, and I was like, "Oh, thank God, (laughs) I can move now." I was like, what is happening? You know, it's just people are never going to come back because we're so sad. Yeah. Like the Gypsy Kings are like, screw that audience. That totally sucked. Yeah. And they like, they feed off your energy. Like they totally feed off your, I mean, I have never been in a like famous band before, but I'm guessing that it's really not fun if you're playing to like a totally sad audience. But yeah, I... Yeah. And, 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 and okay, another example with very short, but I was at Madonna like in 20, I don't know, 11 or 12 when she came to do the big stadium tour for Hard Candy. And I will never forget my freaking Madonna is just like the people in the front row probably weren't dancing. I did not have anywhere close to front row seats, but I was kind of like up in some balcony. And I remember her pointing at the people in the front row, stopping the show and saying, you are in the fucking front row. You should be dancing. Be grateful. And I was just like, the queen has spoken. If you have freaking front row seats and you're not dancing your butt off, you do not deserve to have those seats. Get out immediately or just give them to someone in the nosebleeds who's just would die to be in the front and dance like no one's watching. Seriously, you know, come on. I mean, how old is she now? How old was she then? Probably like in her late 50s. 50s, yeah, late 50s, yeah. (laughs) Madonna. Madonna called you out. One of my first crushes. Yeah. Freaking came with her A-game as a a 50-something-year-old woman, and you couldn't get up out of your 
<laughs> so, so, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're both like shaking our fingers. No, thank you. So like, okay, so back to the whole like social, like why we behave the way we do. That is something though that I am always acutely aware of. Like there's times when I just want to kind of like, be excited and be happy and be that weird person that like people look at in the restaurant or, you know, cause you're too loud. I actually am one of those people that will laugh very loud where people will like turn around and be like, Oh my God, what was that noise? Cause I have a very boisterous laugh. Okay. So, so let's, let's twist, let's twist the, uh, the steering wheel and go towards like why we behave with this weight obsession with thinness, because, you know, this is a fitness podcast and what, how does this play into our weight obsession or our behavior towards diet culture? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, so I think a couple things are important for us to kind of think about and dissect. And one of them is, and I remember this actually from a GDW podcast a couple of years ago when you had Chrissy King on. Yeah. So her Instagram's I am Chrissy King. Yes. And she, she was on y'all's podcast and I remember her talking about, she talked a lot about like the colonization of fitness, which I thought was really interesting. And I had never really, I mean, as soon as she said it, I was like, yeah, for real. Like, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's another place where like white supremacy is like freaking, um, which we could talk about and, and make it so that folks who are hearing that and maybe not so connected to it, aren't like freaked out by that as an idea. But you know, one of the things I remember her talking about was to diversify our social media feeds. So I think that that to me, like one of the things that that creates this narrative, when we are following who is like maybe most popular, most followed, we're often reinforcing, unfortunately, the 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 belief that fitness looks one way. And what that usually is, I think is a a thin white woman or a thinner woman who is like, you know, from a feature perspective, like white passing and, you know, is not, not necessarily like showing a lot of muscle mass, you know, and I, I think that that, if we're seeing that constantly, then it's natural that we'll think to ourselves like, this is, this is what fitness looks like, you know? So I think that diversifying the, the, the kinds of inputs that we're getting is really important if we want to have a more holistic idea of what fitness can look like, which is like, this is sort of a nerdy aside, but you know, the, the obsession with BMI, which you and I have talked about this before, BMI is a data point. It's a data point that in the, an array of other data points can sometimes be helpful on its own, it's often very helpful for people who are grossly underweight. I'm using the word grossly like in a medical sense or grossly overweight over what the average is. So like the two tails. But BMI was developed by, my understanding of the origins of this is it's not something that was developed by doctors. It's developed by actuaries who were selling life insurance as a way to predict who may die earlier. So it was like, you know, people that are like, okay, if you weigh this much, or you weigh this much, like we're going to charge you more money based on how much you weigh, because which, again, they were looking for people that are in the average, um, because they are less likely to die of diseases based on being overweight or underweight. You know, that's a when it was developed, like we can think about a lot about like white privilege as an, you know, part of that, they're not thinking about how non white bodies look, 
I mean, that that should just really help us to think about this as like, again, does it have some value as a data point in an array of other data points? Yes. Is it something that we should like totally be like, this is the thing that I should hang my hat on, you know, around what is fitness? Absolutely not. So what do we hang our hat on for? Like, why do we want to be fit? Like, what do we, and because I've talked about this too recently with one of our guests, uh, Molly Barr, who works with eating disorders and therapy and is trained for intuitive eating through Evelyn Tribble. She caught me when I was talking about health and larger bodies post people post people who are in larger bodies posting photos and people criticizing like that's not the picture of health, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, that's that's between that person and their doctor to decide what health is. And she also was like, and who cares? Like, why do we have to be healthy? And and I know that sounds silly because we don't want to be unhealthy, but it's it's that always talking about health, uh, which to me is kind of code for thinness and code for working out and eating clean. You know, that there's a lot that kind of goes into why are we so focused on health? Why aren't we focused on like the holistic I don't know, wellness of our being. And I think that health is also kind of this tricky trap that we can fall into where it's like, well, as long as they're healthy, and Molly was like, and who cares? Like, it's that's, that's not even your business. <laughs> I was like, fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, like, shut the hell up. If they want to post a picture of themselves. And right, good. right, right, right. Because it's like, it, because everyone else is like, well, they're healthy, the, you know, not every person who is in a larger body is unhealthy, da, 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 da. And part of me is like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. And why do we care? Why do right. we care? I mean, why do we have to keep going back to health? Right, right. I mean, I think that, you know, I think if there's an individual, an individual can make that decision on their own about what they, you know, what they value, you know, and there's lots of different things to value when we think about really any part of human experience. And so I think if we think about, and I, and I know one of the things we talked about is like existentially thinking about this idea, you know, so how do we make meaning around this? So one picture of fitness or health, right, could be your blood work. One could be where you are in terms of, you know, BMI and waist circumference as a, you know, thing. One could be how strong you are, um, you know, how much you could move weight. One could be how, how far you can run or like how much you could do this or that, you know, extreme sort of cardio activity. And I think that like that comes down to what people individually value. And I think that, so I think culturally, what we think of as fitness is what is held in high esteem or what we believe is being held in high esteem by cisgender, heterosexual white men. Whether or not that's true, I don't, you know, I think that there's individual men who fit in those categories that, that might listen to us and be like, hey, now, that's not what I'm interested in, you know, which is great. <laughs> Thank you, brothers. We, we appreciate you on this ride. High fives. Talk more on social media. Yeah. yeah, please post more about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but I also think that, you know, the the idea of, you know, what is desirable is something, what is desirable to cisgender heterosexual white men is I think how we, if like we think about what fitness looks like, I'm putting that in scare quotes, <laughs> like I think that to me is, you know, the, like what we think it looks like, you know. 
And that doesn't help us to think about those in those individual things that might be what fitness is, you know, for us. I mean, I can tell you how I think about fitness. I think about this is like, so not about being sexy. <laughs> I care about two things. Yeah, I want I want my wife to like the way I look. That's important to me. Um, yeah. And I think that's an important point because I think there's a part of us that's like, well, they should, they should love us for however we, we look. And I, I think that's such an individual, I mean, that is such an individual choice between the couple, the person that I don't think that there's a universal look that every couple should decide on. I think it's just like, hey, this is important to us as a couple. Right, right. It's not to say, and it's, this isn't about feedback you know, from her, this is about, this is my own idea about what part of the commitment of marriage. I think part of the commitment of marriage is continuing to do things both in terms of aesthetics, but also in terms of like relationally with your partner that are invitations to keep your partner interested in the relationship. I think that that's a I think that's, I think I have responsibility in that. And I think my wife, Constance, has responsibility. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with yeah. that. Yeah. But I mean, so like, that's something that's important to me. But the other thing that's important to me is, can I squat my own body weight when I'm 90? Because, and that this is like, so again, this is the thing that's like, not, this isn't about sexiness at all. Like, because if you can't do that, and I'm talking about like the, the weight that I am carrying on this frame, I'm not talking about on a barbell. <laughs> yeah, if I can't squat this body weight, then I won't be able to transfer myself to and from a toilet or to and from a chair, which means that I will not be able to independently live period hard stop. To me, that's like, that's important to me. Longevity and strength yep. longevity. So you're not having knee problems or whatever problems when you're older and you're able to garden like Claire and I always talk about. I'm like, I just want to be able to garden without being sore. I want to be able to stand up and stand down, stand down, stand up and sit down. I want to be able to pick things up without help. Absolutely. And I think that's, to me, that's what, that's how I define fitness. And I still have been socialized as a woman in the United States. And so, you know, and you know, I lost 100 pounds in my life. Um, I've actually lost 100 pounds-ish twice in my life, but the second time I maintained that weight for the most part. Um, I did that not because I was, it wasn't about the weight for me. It was about the fact that I was in my 30s and I got like my cholesterol back from my doctor and it was like, not good, my friend. <laughs> and my dad died when he was 52. Um, and so I just thought to myself, like, there were two thoughts I had. I was early in my mental health career. And I thought to myself, like, how can I ask people, for instance, who, who are struggling with alcohol addiction, as an example, to modify their behavior when they can look at me and see in my body that I can't modify mine? So that was the one impetus for it. And the second impetus for it was, if I don't do this, I am on a trajectory to die when I'm in my 50s. But as I lost that weight, what I came to find out, because I was closeted at that time and I was a practicing Catholic, what I came to find out was that weight was a way for me to stay removed from my own experience of desiring someone else and being desired, you know, as a queer woman. And so, you know, what that has translated to is that now I, if I, if my weight fluctuates up, even if it's my intention, right? So I've been focusing on muscle building and strength gains over the last several years, moving toward menopause, thinking about 
how that will help me with menopause. And that's a conversation that myself and a really great uh, dietitian who I work with, whose name is uh, Andrew Wade, and, you know, we had that conversation and that was the goal. But it also means my weight has crept up and it's hard for me to decouple that from the meaning making around thinking about being closeted, you know, and being removed from myself as a person who can be desirable and desiring of others, right? That's so nuanced. Like most people are not thinking about their weight like that. But I would say, I would suggest that for all of us, we make meaning around weight like that, you know, and this real obsession with weight, there's lots of things that are reinforcing it. But at the end of the day, like it has some meaning to us, you know, that's individual. Very true. Talk a little bit about, I've always, and I've mentioned this to you, I struggle to make sense of because I've, I'm someone who's stayed pretty much the same. I mean, give or take when I've had illnesses the same size, I guess, you know, I would say thin privilege, not having weight to lose, but but I still have been very much influenced by the diet culture. So that's, I think a lot of people can relate to that. But I want to hear you talk about the, was there pressure of, I have to lose weight? I think what I struggle with is like the, the weight loss as something that you either had to do for acceptance? Uh, how do you think about conceptualize losing weight without feeling like you're doing something to be different without like accepting the size that you were? Because people will always ask us like, well, I don't want to feed into diet culture, but I still want to lose weight. There's a very hard yeah. conversation to have around that because any conversation we have around losing weight tends to feel like we're feeding into diet culture. So how did you personally think about that? I was less, I mean, I was still somewhat self-examined, but I was less self-examined, I think, when I was losing that weight um, than I am now. I, you know, was still closeted. I would say that's a, <laughs> that's a huge red flag around being not very self-examined, you know, and, and closeted for me meant kind of pushing out at being part of the LGBTQ community and thinking that I could be, that I could live as a, a heterosexual person because at the time I believed that if I didn't do that, I was like taking the hell express. Uh, <laughs> Straight <laughs> going, to hell. Going, going HE double hockey sticks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's not great, but you know, I think that I think that's really hard. And I think that there's, again, if you're socialized in, and, and I would, I would suspect there's other cultures where this is the case, but I'm, I can speak most intelligently about what it's like to be socialized in the United States. I think if you're socialized in the United States and you're a woman, or if you are someone whose interest is in attracting the male gaze. So that could mean you're part of the queer community as well, but you're interested in attracting the male gaze. I think it's difficult for us to decouple weight loss from diet culture. And I think that's why I think this conversation is important because I think that we won't ever be able to totally shut that off inside of us, you know, or like, I think doing that is incredibly heavy lift. What we can do is similar to what we might do with a, a patient or a client coming into therapy, which is to help them to understand why this pattern is so ingrained. The awareness helps us to then be like, huh, you know, maybe I can eat a Rice Krispie Treat. What the, what the fuck? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All those thoughts that we've been told, I always like to think about it is like, once you have the awareness, you can take it out, put it in front of you and look at it and dissect it instead of just being like, it's just kind of swirling around inside of you with no aim. Right, right. But I think that to me is, and you know, this is something I think about in terms of fitness culture in general, I think that the microchasm of CrossFit can create like a different sort of what this might look like a little bit differently, but I think it's still there, which is, you know, there's something really good about having a group of like-minded people on the same journey that you are in there. There's positives to that. It's the reason why 12 steps work, right? It's the reason why uh, faith communities can be really helpful for folks. It's the reason why CrossFit can be really helpful for folks. It was helpful for me. And I think that there is a way that that kind of group think can create complexity for folks too. You know, um, there's a reason why I stopped doing CrossFit in class settings. Like, not that I'll never go, I will go, but it's not my main way of working out at this point. And it's because if I'm sitting here with you and then I'm going out to work with my, you know, one of my two personal trainers, you know, I can say to myself, my, my goal, my fitness goal is squat my body weight when I'm 90. As soon as I'm in a CrossFit class, I'm like, that girl's lifting, blah, blah, blah. I'm way Com- stronger than her. Comparison, <laughs> comparison, comparison, comparison. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so I don't want anyone to listen to this podcast thinking, that's Joy Giroux. She's so self-examined. You know, it's like, no, I'm just a human like everybody else. I can get in a group thing too. And, you know, it's hard to be in that um, reinforcement, like feedback loop. Uh, regardless of, you know, where it is. And it, it doesn't mean that, again, those groups have a lot of utility. There's lots of really good things about them. But I think that that's really difficult, you know. So right now, you know, I'm not, I, I want to say this and be sensitive that that talking about the numbers can be real, like, problematic for some folks, right? Right now, I'm at, like, the heaviest I've been since I've lost weight. And, and it's still, like, on a BMI scale, it, like, gets you know, it gets dicey, but I also recognize like that doesn't account for that doesn't, that is a, it is a data point, but I'm also like this probably the strongest I've ever been as an adult. And, um, I have the most muscle mass that I've ever carried on my body as an adult. Right. So, and I'm still a, you know, cisgender woman socialized in America. So when I get on that scale, I'm like, whoa, WTF. Or when I have to, when I had to buy bigger pants, because my legs and my my butt were bigger. My waist wasn't necessarily much bigger, but my legs, my butt were uh, bigger. I had to like, you know, again, my dietitian's like a superstar and has a lot of great background in motivational interviewing. So he did a lot of like, motivational interviewing with me, which I was like, oh, thank God. Uh, to be like, that was not your goal. Your goal was not thinness. And really quick, explain what motivational interviewing is for people. Yeah, so it's a way of, I mean, we use it in therapy. It's also something that that lots of physicians are now trained in and different medical healthcare professionals. But it's a way of helping to clarify what a person's goals are and how some of the way that, ways they might be speaking um, is pulling them away from their goals. That's maybe the simplest way. I don't mm-hmm. know if you would describe it differently from that. I just think it's more of identifying someone's intrinsic motivation. So it's not, yeah. it's really instead of the therapist kind of leading the discussion around pointing out maybe uh, inconsistencies, the, th- the patient is the one 
making the claims of the why they're doing something. And then once you state your why, you're more likely to stick to it because you're like, well, I said it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that, right. I mean, that, that, that's the other part of this that I think is also something that we have to think about. On that note, let's take a quick break and hear from our amazing sponsors, Ned. And by hear from them, you mean talk about them. Talk about them and rave about them. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and repeat myself because I've been using the Sleep Blend. It's a newer product. It is amazing. I've been taking it half hour before bed. I follow the instructions. You just take a little dropper under your tongue and I sleep like a baby hotel sleep. I feel really good. I actually have a sleep number bed. So I check my sleep score every morning when I wake up. It's just like data and I've been getting amazing sleep. So please support the podcast by supporting our great sponsors, Ned. We both use it. We both love it. If you guys go to our Instagram, I did like a, one of those like reels last week where I point to words and I was like, Oh, only for Ned would I make a reel like that. Um, if you're not familiar with CBD, I explain a little bit about it in the caption of that post. Also, just as a reminder, you can go to helloned.com, go to their FAQ page. They answer a ton of questions about CBD, about using CBD, about what it's used for, who can use it, how it works. And so go to their website, check that out. They have a lot of awesome educational information on there. One thing that we love about Ned is that they third-party test every single batch of all of their products. So unlike a lot of other CBD companies, which will put averages of the content of each of their products on the label, they actually third-party test every single batch. And so you know exactly what you're getting and it's third-party verified, meaning that it's not just them tooting their own horns. So it's a really objective look into exactly what you're getting in the product, which is so important. Anytime you're taking something that's a supplement, which CBD is you know, just another herb and botanical, it's just another type of supplement. And when we look at that, you know, when we think about it that way, we really are thinking about the quality. We're thinking about the sourcing. We're thinking about that third-party testing, and we love Ned for providing all of that right on their website. If you want to try the new De-Stress Blend from Ned or the Sleep Blend, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special code for our audience. Every order over $40 qualifies for 15% off, plus a free De-Stress Blend sample. Go to helloned.com forward slash joy or enter joy at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy to get 15% off plus a free De-Stress Blend sample on any order over $40. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our podcast and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Thank you, Ned. So let's say, I think this is worth thinking about as like, you know, because you and I are both, we work in the healthcare industry, you know, which is a place where people say a lot of banana stuff to folks <laughs> that gets them like real worked up. And yeah. And so let's, let's say for, for a second that there is an, an ideal weight someone should be. I'm not saying that there is or there isn't, but let's say that there is. If anyone doing healthcare thinks that the best way to motivate someone toward whatever health and wellness and fitness looks like is by pointing out how they're not there yet... <laughs> <laughs> you just guaranteed they're never going to change. Yeah. Right. You're, I mean, this is love. You're a dummy. 
Like that is not, that's not motivating to anyone, Mm -mm. you know? So, I mean, I think that that's, that's incredibly, and I'm not suggesting that there is a weight we should be or anything like that. I just think that, you know, if for those of us who are involved in healthcare, if we think that just like busting out with that is going to be the way to go, we're wrong. I'm in this conversation with my mother who is in her seventies and has really gotten pretty deconditioned during COVID because she was, she has some pretty serious lung disease and she didn't go out anywhere. She does not want to move to Pittsburgh to be closer to Constance and I, she, you know, this is the weather's not great for her here. She wants to stay in New Jersey. She has lots of friends there. And I was basically like, you got three options. You can molder away in your home doing nothing, (laughs) which sounds terrible. Miss Havisham. Um, You can, you know, you can come and move to Pittsburgh, which you absolutely don't want to do, or you can start to work out. And if you do that within a year, you're going to be able to walk from your car to the shore again. You're going to be able to garden again. You're going to be able to do pottery again. And she started working out with a a trainer whose name is Brian, who works at um, CrossFit Bar Bend in New Jersey, right near where my mom lives. Go Brian. Yeah, Brian's a a badass. He trains a bunch of adaptive athletes. And I I met him several years ago when my mother was in the hospital. Um, And CrossFit Bar Bending is a very cool community. And like my mom's going there. You know, we'll see what happens. But I think like to me, I know her. She loves going to the ocean. She loves gardening. She loves being able to do pottery. If she continues to be a smoker, you know, and her body doesn't change, who cares? If she can do the things that make her life that are important for her life, like that's what matters most. That's a really... I, I love that reminder because we really are stuck in, <laughs> as we should be at times, the here and now. It's good to be in the present, but I think we lose focus of how important it is to be able to do the things we want to do when we're older. And I think that's important. I think that's important. I, some people may not think that way, but I think to have that freedom as you get older to move the way that you want to move in whatever ways that your body can move, I think is valid. But we lose sight of that for, you know, the beauty standards or like getting all the Botox things or the <laughs> fake tans or whatever it is that like, you know, to kind of put money into the aesthetics of how we look now where I'm like, yeah, that's just not going to last. I mean, for the longest time, I wanted a boob job like in my 20s. So glad I didn't do that because I'm just like, <laughs> I just, like, I just... <laughs> I don't long term. I'm like, that just sounds like a pain to maintain every 10 years. I'm like, no, thank you. But oh, I never even thought about that. (laughs) Yeah, you have to maintain it. You have to like get them redone. Yeah. And I'm just like, thank God. Yeah. I'm like, thank God. I just never I'm so glad I didn't because I am totally fine with my body now. And Anyway, I talk a little bit, I want you to expand a little bit more if you can, because I think this is important for listeners too, of how it doesn't have to be so black and white for every single single individual around weight loss doesn't have to mean I'm succumbing to this, this social construct of what beauty is. Like for you, what was it for you to lose that weight, to keep it off? Even your thoughts around like weight and looks now versus then. Yeah, it's interesting. So I am like, I identify as a lesbian. I'll interchangeably use the word queer woman. There was a time in my life where I thought of myself as bisexual. The reason that I choose to use the word lesbian is because I think it just more easily communicates to folks that like, 
if I were single, I wouldn't, I can't, while I think that men are attractive, I just can't imagine having a long-term relationship with a cisgender guy. So I think lesbian kind of like says it as easily as possible, but you know, like those labels are really helpful for the person looking at you from the outside They They don't always kind of help us to understand who we are interiorly. But you know, when I lost weight and I, and I think that I have always exuded queerness in my life, which is one of the reasons why I was like horribly bullied as a kid. Cause like, you know, it's, you're super cool if you're a boy and you're showing up to middle school looking like Miami Vice. But if you're a girl, everyone's like, what the hell? <laughs> you're not Crockett. What the, you know, take that damn white jacket off. <laughs> um, <laughs> take that. Take it off right now. What are those right. shoes made out of wicker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I was like, wait, when guys dress like this, it's so, you know, it's so yeah. So. You know, it was interesting because for the first time in my life, when I lost that hundred pounds, the, I worked with the same group of people during that almost that entire period. Suddenly, the men that I worked with, who were all lovely and like really good dudes, mm-hmm. but suddenly they're all like holding the door for me, and like there were just these, and they were small things, Joy. Yeah, I noticed them before, but I was like fascinating you know and i still was i still wasn't out at that point but i was thinking about this the other day because i was at a vaccine clinic uh, and my wife came to get her flu shot and then you know she left and there was a gentleman there and he kind of hit on me and i thought and i said to her afterward i was like that just does not happen to me very much because if you interact with me on like a daily basis it's pretty clear that like this is not for dudes (laughs) you're like Like, i'm not interested in what men think about this yeah 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 you're like like, i might as well have a neon sign like yeah right this is for girls yeah. <laughs> and it's really just because I'm married. And yeah. I'm in a monogamous right. It's really just for one girl. Right. You know? But I think that that's a, it's an interesting thing how the idea of the change in my body weight elicited this response from men. Um, so I'll just put that, like, I'll pin that for a second. The other thing I think is, is that, you know, because so much of American culture is wrapped up in perfectionism and a lack of nuance and a lack of being able to hold the dialectic, right? Like the both of something. We have this idea that there is a, there's a, like, it's almost as if thinness or health or fitness or whatever we're freaking calling it these days is like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. And it's like, this is a nuanced journey. What it looks like for each person is different. The, wherever a person is, if they've made some movement toward whatever it is, they they find a meaningful goal around that, that is progress for them. And I think that if we had, I think that for those of us who are working in clinical spaces, and even for the people who are like fitness influencers, which sometimes you see this, but it's, it's I don't know, it's tough. Because if you're like, if it's like a picture of someone who's looking perfect, and they're like, I had three donuts this morning. I'm like, mm. oh, I hate that so much. I hate it. Oh, it drives me crazy. I'm like, you probably had a sliver bite of a donut. And you're like, I'm so full. Also, turn that motherfucking ring light off. God, (laughs) turn it off. Get those filters off your face. It drives me nuts. I get rage, rage, rage. Yeah. (laughs) But I will say, like, I think that, you know, why does it have to be so black and white? Why does, you know, why couldn't we look at this with the lens of harm reduction like we do with so many other things in, you know, so if the most harmful thing, uh, you know, for a person is like, like, let's think about it in like the world of drug and alcohol, right? If the most h- harmful thing we can imagine a person doing to their body in the drug and alcohol world is like 
using methamphetamines or shooting heroin. We got them to stop doing that and like they smoke weed instead. They still may have the kind of personality clusters we would see in someone who struggles with addiction. I'm not saying that that totally goes away, but there's lots of reasons why the use of marijuana might be a better option, you know? <laughs> And so I think that we have to have that same, I think, flexibility when we're thinking about these other things that are, you know, healthier versus, you know, whatever for folks. You know, if people ask me, like if some, when I, I rarely get asked this question now because most people just know me as the body I'm in, right? But for people that used to know me when I had a bigger body, they'll be like, what should I do? Right. And I'm like, well, just because I did this doesn't mean I know everything. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That, that happens a lot with like influencers. Right. So I, so like I tell people really like, simple things that I did at the very beginning. So like one of the things that I did at the very beginning was I worked shift work and I would drive home really late at night and I would pass this Wendy's and I wanted a freaking frosty and spicy chicken. Okay. And so when I started to lose, I mean, and I mean, I haven't had a frosty in a long time, but even the other day I was so hungry. I was like, Oh my God, I want a frosty. And I was like, no, you don't fool. Go home, make yourself a protein shake. Calm down. But there was this way that I, I would say to myself and like the, you know, the Wendy's was like maybe 15 minutes before I got home. I would say to myself as I'm passing this Wendy's three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, when I get home, I can eat whatever I want in the fridge. I just, I'm not going to stop and eat this Wendy's, but when I go home and I, I can eat whatever I want. And it's not that, it's not that I'd go home and like, you know, eat some kind of like, it's not, I don't want people to think that like I was, I mean, I don't have judgment about this, but like, I'm not saying I would go home and, and literally like eat, you know, thousands and thousands of calories. But I just would say to myself, like, you can have whatever you want when you go home. So that was one thing I did. The second thing I did was, like, I stopped drinking pop or soda. People around here say pop. I'm from New Jersey. If you say pop, someone punches you in the face. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't say, do I say pop? I think I say soda. It's yeah. very much like a Midwestern versus East Coast thing. I don't think people on the West Coast care too much about pop or soda. But I think we're more of soda on the West Side, West Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> side. West um, Side. <laughs> But yeah, the, I mean, I think like I stopped drinking my calories. And then the last thing that I did was like, I, I tried to avoid foods that when I read the label, I couldn't make that in my kitchen because there were so many chemical names in it. You know what I mean? So like if it was a cookie that was like milk, you know, chips, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hell yeah. But if it was a cookie that was like a bunch of chemical names. Something I exone, drexone, lexone. Yeah. <laughs> hail to the nah. If so. And, you know, and then if I had more time, what I would say is like, you can have as many cookies as you want. You just have to bake them yourself. You know what I mean? Like to me, those are like four, those are four things that are like helpful to consider. I'm not saying anyone has to adopt them. I'm saying that's what was helpful for me. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about, you know, going back to the intuitive eating discussions we're recently having with Molly Barr is like just being a little more connected to what you want and saying, what do I want right now? Connecting to your food. There's so much more, you know, go and listen to those episodes. But I think that's kind of what you're saying, essentially, is being mindful, just being more mindful. And that's a way for you to be more mindful around it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think this is worth so my dietitian and I talk about this all the time. When I was losing weight, I, it took me five years to lose 100 pounds. So this was not something I did overnight. Um, and now I've maintained, I've overall maintained the weight loss for like eight to somewhere between eight and nine years. I've stopped counting. I stopped counting like after five, you know, because that's the mark. When you hit five years after a significant weight loss, that usually means you can maintain it for your life. So 
but I never counted calories ever. I never, I didn't count macro. That wasn't even a thing. Like I'm sure somebody knew what it was, but that just was not part of my journey at all. I just made like those kind of rules I was telling you about. And then I made like other things that were like smart substitutions or smart, you know, ideas that, you know, I've now like learned people are like, yeah, this is a sensible thing to do, but I didn't know. I had, I didn't have a lot of, you know, I was 32 to 37 when I was losing weight. I was four, I'm 46. So I've been, I've maintained it for nine years, I guess. I was 32 to 37 when I was losing my weight and it was, um, the end of it was like 2012. And so, you know, what we have now available to us is so much more than what we had at that time. I, you just didn't really have a lot of, um, these messages, you know, going around, but I had to unlearn a lot of things too. So wrapping this up, because we're running out of time today, but of course, we can always continue this discussion forever. And we'd love for listeners to chime in on their experiences and their thoughts and opinions on this. How do we then start to shift our focus to where it's or at least maybe paying attention, like you said before, like once we can kind of take it out and look at it and evaluate it? How do we do that moving forward with the obsession with weight loss, thinness, looking perfect, you know, because we're faced with that every day? What are the things that you think would be helpful? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think it's worth for people that that have the mental space to do this, you know, because I, I want to recognize there's lots of folks, you know, in the world who are doing so many things like Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? Like to be able to take even the headspace to do this is is feels too like it's too much, you know, but if you have the headspace to do it, I think it's worth thinking about like, what does weight or thinness mean to you? Like, what is it about this that is of value to you? You know, because maybe it's something different than you really think it is. And, you know, I think that that's helpful. And then I also think it's it's worth like thinking about, you know, or decoupling the idea of what health is from thinness. Thinness in and of itself is not health, period, hard stop. <laughs> so decoupling the idea of whatever health is from thinness, that's not, that's not true. People's bodies, you know, from a perspective of ideal, like blood markers, BMI, like all these different things, like they still will look really, really different, you know? And I think that like thinking about that and think decoupling it from thinness, I think is really important. The other thing I would say is like, have some self-compassion when you get caught up in a more traditionally culturally American idea of what of what thinness or health is because that's inevitably going to happen it is the white noise that permeates our culture and it's hard to get away from you know it's literally everywhere that we look yeah. I mean, if you think about historically, the influencers over the years, who comes to mind to you? I think of in the 70s, 80s, Jane Fonda, 80s, 90s. I mean, there's so many of the exercise videos are these thin white women who later came out sadly and admitted that they had some form of eating disorders to stay that way. I mean, that's also very, very tragic in and of itself. But, you know, we think of the people who kind of stand out in social media now, Tracy Anderson, Jillian Michaels, they're all 
white woman. And the thin ideal kind of tends to gravitate towards like looking at those people. Like if you do the Tracy Anderson method, you'll look this way. And it kind of creeps me out a little bit because it's a little bit like step for wife system where I'm like, why do we all want to look like that? So I think what you're saying too is just be critical and take it out, look at it, ask yourself why, why is this important to you? What does this mean to you? Continuing the discussion, like we, like I've been mentioning of talking about intuitive eating is a lot of the behaviors that we look at is like, why are we doing this? Why is it important to you? And I'm not to say that this is just going to be a simple overnight realization, but I think we just really want to have a bigger conversation around why we're doing what we're doing. And hopefully that this alleviates some guilt and shame, adds more joy to your life around taking this burden off of your shoulders. Yeah. And I, I would say too, like, like you're talking about, you know, the, the influencers, you know, when I was working at a psych hospital, that was really important to me to like add movement to the schedule. And so I bought a bunch of like workout videos. I bought all sweat into the oldies. So good. Oh my gosh. Richard Simmons, Richard Simmons, all kinds of bodies. Yes. The bodies in those videos. Yes, he does. God bless him. And it really, uh, the folks actually, they'd be like sweating to the oldies. And then we would put it on and they'd be like, yeah, it's legit, you know, because it freaking is. And then the other one was, um, actually, she's a local woman. Her name's Leslie Sansone. She used to have a thing that was like walk away the pounds, but it's now just called like walk from home or something like that, which A, I always think of like the work from home song. Every time I say that, it's not connected, but, but she also has a lot of different kinds of folks. You know, they're attractive, but they're attractive people that like you might see at the mall. <laughs> you wouldn't see them in like, yeah, Hollywood like, or like a Yeah, park. mall attractive. You're not like going to be thinking that you're running into Kim Kardashian type of thing. You're like, totally. whoa, yeah. But I, I think, you know, I, I really respect both of those folks for that reason, because I think that like they present a more realistic way of thinking about the, the diversity of what fitness could look like. Um, and certainly, you know, if it's helpful, we can throw a bunch of, you know, people who diversify the feed. Yeah, we'll link those in our in our show notes for sure. Yeah. So if, again, reminder that the show notes are just like if you open this episode, you'll see all the notes in this podcast episode and we can link them there. I think we have to have another discussion another day around pockets of culture, even just within the United States, I guess we could talk globally, but I can speak more intelligently, I guess, around the United States. It was just like the culture of Los Angeles and how you see plastic surgery, everyone looks the same. And it baffles me because I'm just like, how does that happen where you see you could almost pinpoint someone that's had plastic surgery and is from LA because they look the same. And that freaks me out. Or perhaps somewhere in Texas where everyone's hair's the same and everyone's makeup's the same and everyone's dolled up. Or when I go to Scottsdale and everyone has a certain look, it's the Arizona thing. It's just like, culturally with these little tiny pockets of where you are in the United States of how people look. And it's really interesting. There's a, I think a small rebel inside of me that's always hated that, which is why I've always been like, I want to wear all the glitter and all the colors and put pink in my hair because it, it scares the crap out of me to fall into that, which, you know, I could be sounding like a huge hypocrite too, because obviously like I like fitness and I like being active, but for the most part, there's always been, I think, a little side of me that's like, oh, this really freaks me out. Let me put a, put a pink stripe in my hair. I think that's another conversation for another another day. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope that this was helpful. You can please send us feedback. We'd love to hear your feedback on this and this discussion and join the discussion. You can send us a voice memo, 
just hit record like you're sending a phone call, voice memo. You can use the voice memo app on your phone and email it directly to girlsgonewad at gmail.com. Leave us a review, share this with, with a friend. And if you have feedback or suggestions, send them our way. Joy, thank you so much for joining us again. This was such a great conversation and hey, I love you very for much. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I feel super jazzed to be on the GGW feed. Like I'm, I'm beyond Twitter pated. Yes. <laughs> we'll have you back again. Thanks again, guys.